Hey, welcome to the main draw. Hello, this is Chris. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Remember how Frank DeFord wrote that piece about caddies? Go on. So basically it was like one of those like Andy Rooney-esque rants about how (laughs) uh, like sport should be different and here's how sport should be different. And in this case, it's tennis and that we should have caddies because Roger Federer shouldn't have to carry a really heavy bag. And it's like, you can hear the Andy Rooney in his voice being like, and then Roger Federer has to carry a giant bag. I was having this conversation with Edward R. Murrow one time, and he (laughs) said to me, tennis rackets are heavy. And they were back then. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're made out of, like, fucking composite at this point. (laughs) Right. They don't even weigh anything. Like, like professional players actually get intentionally heavier rackets than the average person like right (laughs) that's all right there they're problematically light (laughs) right if anything it was such a whiny like it was such a like you know slow week right so then i wanted to talk about uh how do you pronounce it kyrgios how do you pronounce it i kyrgios 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 i feel like you know when you see like a gyro on a menu but you know that you should probably say euro uh-huh i feel like that i okay. think that's how you say it say it again Kyrios. <laughs> right you're you're like afraid to overdo it like, like you're putting on airs yeah like, like oh, i'm like, like inhaling halfway through the <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's pronounced Kyrios, you know? <laughs> exactly oh how authentic okay so so my thought was so he fired his coach right not too yeah. long ago can you imagine being a 20 year old and firing someone like above and beyond <laughs> above and beyond firing like your coach you're firing a man with a family probably and a mortgage and just it seems pretty weighty <laughs> like no wonder young tennis players get so fucked up yeah or you're firing a woman and it's Amelie Maresmo and she's pregnant either way it's right. a big fucking decision that a 20 year old has to make and also I think tennis is like among the only sports where you your coach works for you like, think about that. Like, Bill Belichick, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I doubt, I mean, he doesn't make as much as Tom Brady, but Tom Brady's not allowed to be like, you know what? Fuck you. Right. Although, I don't know. <laughs> there are a lot of players who sort of get away with, like, killing the coach, right? But not as directly as in tennis. Nick Kyrgios is not somebody who's earned the right to fire anybody. <laughs> I feel like if anybody, he should be getting fired you know how he's talking about like the like how he loves having sex with women before matches and like yeah i get it of course if i were a professional athlete i would be having sex with everybody who was attractive (laughs) who i could get my hands on but i wouldn't talk about it to the media because that's gross right right do you think it's like the kind of thing where like his coach like was demanding he eat healthier breakfasts and he was like you know what you're fired i want to have what i want for breakfast i bet it was a totally stupid reason i bet it wasn't like (laughs) You know, our approach to these matches is different. It's probably like, you can't eat cheeseburgers and <laughs> tweet about boobs, you right. know? Right. And he was like, no one's going to tell me what to do. Right. <laughs> you know, and like with tennis parents, it's like, these these are these are meal tickets. I mean, right. I don't know anything about his parents. Maybe they're cool. But based right. on the, my general knowledge of tennis parents, if when in doubt, the parents are not cool. Right. When in doubt. And like, can, can you imagine like the crazy psychological power swing that, that goes on when you're you're like again i don't know if it's the case with him but generally speaking like totally dominated by these parents that play weird fucking mind games on you to make you good at tennis and then like all of a sudden you can fire someone 
Yeah. Like, it must be like an irresistible way to be like, get control of your life again, you know? For sure. Yeah. And you can ban them from tournaments. You can ban them from tournaments. Think about that. I want to bring oh. up something because we got some fan mail. Oh, wow. Did you know that? No. We're, we're two episodes in and we already got some fan mail. <laughs> okay, this is from my friend Nick in Boston. Okay. Uh, and Nick is a friend of mine, so it's not really a fan, but he is a fan who's a friend. And sure. he was reacting to Serena for president, uh-huh, which we talked last about last episode. week. Right. And he said uh, two things. Number one, she would probably need to cut her teeth with a Senate run before a 2020 White House bid. Okay. <laughs> so he like rejected the premise that she was politically ready, which we can talk about. Okay. Right. But also that he's been assuming she would be a Democrat, but is it possible she'd go through as a Republican? Because a lot of these athletes lean conservative. Huh. Is that and true? Richard Williams strikes him as somebody who might have instilled some GOP values. Sure. Is it true that they're conservative? A lot of athletes are. I mean, wow. the Williams, I don't know. I mean, they're yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses, which would indicate that they're quite religious. But, like, right. they, like, Serena dated Common. And, like, he's a huge progressive right. activist on, like, incarceration rates. And, like, For a split I don't second. want to make assumptions, but I'm pretty sure that, you know. Right. For a uh, split second, I thought a, you were going to say Common is a huge huge republican i was about ready to be blown away (laughs) um so so yeah so i don't know i could see look she's a competitor i could see her in whatever party was most likely to win in that state Mm, you know what i mean yeah yeah she would like put like place her chips wisely kind of thing exactly she just wants to win what was the other piece of fan mail um it was the uh Jennifer in Birmingham, Alabama, uh-huh. um, sent me something uh, asking my take on Frank DeFord's rant about tennis needing caddies. Okay. Um, I don't think she wanted me to take the question seriously. I think she was more wondering if he was serious. Right. Right. Well, we're serious. We've already I'm addressed serious. this. Yeah, exactly. Do you think there's like a scintilla of truth to that like is there anything you you can say that's positive about the idea that tennis players should have caddies no (laughs) right i don't think so either no i mean no there's just not there's such a uh small amount of caddy requirements if it was a caddy coach i mean i i'm not super familiar with golf but my understanding is that like the caddies at least appear to be giving you know consultation they're supposed to be knowledgeable. Right, right. If a player were to have a caddy, it would definitely be Federer first, right? For sure. For sure. He would sure. be in a blazer right. with tails but it's kind and gloves. <laughs> right, you have this stylish, like a Great Gatsby style totally. caddy. But like, it is kind of like having a caddy for miniature golf, where the guy just says, putter, putter, at every hole. <laughs> 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 like, it's just, it, like, I guess on the outside you could say, like, the dude or lady could help you figure out which tension to play, right? Because uh, players have a bunch of rackets and they're strung at different tensions depending on who they're playing and weather. I don't know. I don't know what the other reasons are. So I guess yeah. there's that. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. You know what? I think each – it would make sense to me if each player had a stringer, had their own stringer. Ooh. What if the stringer was on the court and strung things mid-match and, like, you could see them stringing Whoa. It? And it yeah, was like, like a pit stop thing and they had to do a quickly enough because the guy playing 60 pounds on his racket was just like getting killed and couldn't keep the ball in whoa you know whose matches that would greatly improve Uh uh-huh 
Who? Rafael Nadal, because oh, he yes. takes those. Mat- it's like watching the Yankees and the Red Sox. It's like <laughs> there's pitching changes, and then right. there's some like somebody's got to talk on the mound forever, and then right. you know it somebody's would... getting ejected. It would really, you know, when Nadal is taking his like sweet ass time getting from one end of the court to the other and picking his wedgie and doing his hair and doing his bottles and the line that he needs them to be in, you could just pan to the guy furiously stringing his rackets. Right, and uh, advertisers would be all over that. Like, it would be a cash cow, and then you'd have, like, famous stringers. Like, the most charismatic stringers would become tour personalities on their own. I want to say something. I want this job. (laughs) Frank DeFord, I started out thinking you were a total nincompoop, and now I am reversing myself. (laughs) You've led me to this wonderful career realization. This way, I don't need to alienate my children by trying to pressure them into professional tennis career i don't have to like regret never making it myself i can just be a fucking stringer and i can string and i'm pretty good at it i don't think i'm fast enough but i could practice really so like you do you have a stringer i used to i used to string all my my own rackets before matches wow Wow. right that is crazy yeah you could do this yeah would you do this would i do this oh yeah definitely just for the seats like just to be there i'd have a lot to learn though i don't think i've ever strung a racket and I buy cheap strings so they don't break that much. So I have very little experience on the racket stringing department. Yeah, you'd really need to up your game. You'd probably be starting at the minor leagues. You'd be like stringing <laughs> rackets for 10-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be unglamorous. It'd be like in like Augusta, Georgia. You know. <laughs> exactly. The uh, suburbs of Indianapolis. Right, D3 like, you know. college teams, which I can say because <laughs> I was on one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that's a really great idea. That's probably like the next frontier of rackets because like at some point, from what I understand, the stuff that rackets are made of is like way ahead of like jet engine technology. So like at some point it'll be the lightest, stiffest thing imaginable. So yeah. the advantage you can get after that is strings, like hyper, hyper accurate strings. It, it's like medicine that's like based on your genome. Like Whoa, it's that specific. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Right. Yeah, and then everyone there'll be like proprietary strings and proprietary <laughs> stringers, and then like one stringer would leave somebody's camp to go work for somebody else. It would create right. this whole like you know this whole like secondary or tertiary dramatic you know storylines for all these <laughs> right. things. Now that we're all obsessed with coaches, yeah. oh, you know what I wanted to bring up because this is like a tiny thing, okay. but I loved how you described Boris Becker, who's going to be on our screen starting next week uh-huh. as Novak goes back to Wimbledon uh-huh. to defend his title. Can you can you describe how you you talked about Boris Becker? Uh, I think I describe I, I, I describe uh, Becker as it was as if someone pulled a ripcord on his face <laughs> <laughs> because it's still Boris Becker, but the the frame around his eyes and nose and mouth has like quadrupled in size. And it's red. And it's red. He's in red. there. So, He's in there I'm, um, like I'm so confident it's Boris Becker, yeah. but there's somebody just totally redesigned his face. I'm worried about his melanoma. He's like always like like first day of summer burn red it's not even just like lightly (laughs) you know rosy in the cheeks kind of thing right right still a good head of hair though you know god bless him i mean that's you know as we talked about last week that's not a given with rafael nadal for example so sad i am really excited about this episode right because we are going to play something from the first season which i edited more professionally than I did last year, uh, of a guy named Don Don McClure in Oregon who has his own grass court uh, that he has out there for people, doesn't charge them for it, and uh, it's called what, Caitlin? Wimble Don. Yep, Wimble Don. A little on the nose, but as you will hear, the guy Don is um, adorable. Can I call a grown man adorable? 
Yeah. Okay. Adorable. And I don't mean that in, in a way that like he's not like an active person who runs his own businesses because he does, but just like the sweetness with which he approaches the project of having grass courts there for anybody and not charging for it is amazing. Uh, one thing you need to know at the start is that uh, he bought this property and uh, and there were grass courts on it to start and he didn't imagine using them at first. I started uh, the interview by asking about his own experience with tennis. Do you play tennis? I do not play tennis. I never have played tennis. Have you ever been on a court and hit a ball? Uh, yes. A man by the temp- name of Tim Leatherman, who's the inventor of the Leatherman tool in itself, he plays at the court quite regularly. He uh, actually purchased for myself and my girlfriend some wonderful tennis rackets. And a year later when he got there, he talked me into pulling the one out of the case and taking the tag off of it and hitting some balls with him. And then I put it away and it hasn't been out since. You don't play tennis. You don't seem overly interested in playing tennis. How did you end up? Uh, how, how did you end up running a, uh, a grass court? Actually, I I owned a jewelry store in La Grande, Oregon, and I was getting ready to open my second jewelry store. And I was, and as I opened it up, I realized in order to nurture this baby to life, I needed to live in this same town of Baker City. So I was looking for a house to buy. And when I came across this place, the first thing I saw was a whole bunch of dirt with really nice grass on it that could be three nice homes. And I was going to subdivide it and build homes on it and make a fortune. And then I met some wonderful people that happened to play tennis. And the more I got to know them and the more I saw the passion in which they had in the game, literally in tears at times, uh, out of the thrill of being able to play on grass, as well as people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who got to play tennis again because it was on grass and I guess much easier on the joints. I just couldn't take that away from people. So I gave them my word to to maintain them as tennis courts and and do the labor for them and and donate my time and my privacy, 100% of my privacy to them. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, the courts are literally in my backyard. And the parking area is around the side of my home. So when I get 60 to 80 cars parked around my home and people wandering all over and I'm just trying to get out of the shower. <laughs> That's I have people that walk into my home asking, is this the clubhouse? <laughs> have you done anything to encourage or discourage this? Uh, out from a beer. You could you could set up a jewelry kiosk. And we've done that. <laughs> have you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and... I've made some great sales on those tennis courts. But I, mean, but it I seems have like since only closed fair. both my jewelry stores and, and thought I retired. Wow. So, but that didn't happen either. So this is like the least lucrative second career in the world. It it actually puts me in the hole thousands a year. Thousands a year. I probably spend between five and eight thousand dollars a year to make sure you guys get play tennis. Oh man, ten years of doing this, I'm pretty easy. You know, I'd say fifty grand's the least I've got into them. Probably pushing seventy. Wow! They cost about fifteen to twenty thousand a year to maintain. Whoa! And that's a five-month season. Right. Pretty much dedicate thirty hours a week to meticulously kept grass. I have to have these looking good for my own pride. And I can take you through the process of my week. I wake up on Monday morning. I'm pouring the water to them from play the week before. I get kind of somewhat stressed by Tuesday. By Thursday, I am highly stressed and trying to get the stripes down and everything mowed. And I'm going, I've had it. I'm not going to do this any longer. I'm, I'm just, I get pissed. Okay. I just, 
I've had my fill. I don't play this sport. I'm doing this for everybody else. And by Saturday morning, everyone shows up, and I sit there and I watch them, and I go, wow, that's cool. That's it. <laughs> that it's makes... really cool to see them out there laughing and having fun, especially kids when they come over. I just had about 80 kids on those courts for five days. And it's unbelievable the amount of fun that they have on those courts playing tennis, the sport they love. I'm actually a Harley rider. I love to ride my Harley. I build it. I put it in shows. I did all that. That's what I love. But I respect other people's loves also. You're providing one, You're providing the only public grass court uh, tennis experience in the Pacific Northwest, as your website advertises. You're also doing something, for, I would imagine, for many people who have watched grass court tennis their whole lives and probably have never played on grass. Do you have a lot of first-timers? I absolutely. Uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes several times a week, there'll be people coming through on I-84 here, which is the main arterial, from Portland, headed east through Boise, Idaho, Twin Falls, Salt Lake City. So there's a lot of people that that are just traveling by that actually just call me and say, hey, we're almost in Baker City. Can we come by and see the courts? And first question is, of course, did you bring your equipment? And they did. So I said, well, get up there, get out on the courts and have a great time. It has blown almost everybody's minds that play on it. Are, are so. First, they're amazed that the ball bounces so well on grass. Mm-hmm. Um, two, that they can play barefoot. Yeah. Barefoot is kind of the key. Once you get up there and you realize, I can kick these shoes off and play, you see their level of play and their the the efforts in which they put forth athletically so much greater into the game. I mean, they're diving and sliding and, and rolling and getting back up and hitting the ball again when it comes back and laughing. And they just, it's a thrill to, to everyone I've seen play up there. It's a thrill. Like, have you seen the movie Field of Dreams? Yes. Okay. What does the movie Field of Dreams mean to you? Like, what what do you think the message of it is? Not a clue. <laughs> you know, I watched it and moved on. It's not something that impacted me. I'll be honest with you. It just didn't impact me. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so so if you could just, um, maybe this is a, re- a weird question, but I just thought, you know, what you did with jewelry and what you did with motorcycles and what you do with grass courts, they're kind of all of a piece, which is just this intense uh, attention to detail. Um, like, tell me what it's like to get the details right. Whenever I start anything, honestly, whenever I start anything that I do, I want to end up with the best product I can do. The recognition comes when I've gone beyond that and I've done it better than anyone else, and that's what I strive for. I I, I had to write my own eulogy uh, in high school, and and that changes one's life right there when you take that serious. Like as an exercise? As an exercise. What did it say? And, And I really didn't like what I had to write. So I started looking at my own life differently, and I started thinking about, not what I can do for me, but how can I help other people? How can I help them get to a better place, either in their life or something? And as a, what I do now is I'm a, I'm a general manager of a hotel here in, in Baker City. I just started a few months ago, and I brought that whole idea here. And that is how can I help people achieve a better level of, uh, of their job as well as their personal life? And when I end my time on earth, I want people to think, damn, that guy did some shit. All right. That was Don McClure, proprietor of proprietor of Wimbledon in Oregon. Right. And despite what he says, this guy is, let's be honest, Kevin Costner from Field of Dreams. 
Um, that's it for our show this week. Next week, we're going to check in with my friend who's training for a major tournament. And guess what starts? Wimbledon. Yes. So soon. And, uh, and it's great. I can't wait. This is your favorite tournament, right? I mean, it's among my four favorite tournaments. <laughs> okay, yeah. For, for me, too. Safely within the top four. Safely top four. Um, All right. If you are enjoying the main draw, yeah. subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher. We are now on Acast. Or you can go to our website at maindraw.tumblr.com. All right. Bye, Caitlin. Bye.